0: Welcome to the Digiday Podcast, I'm Brian Marcy. Before we get to this week's episode, I wanna remind you about becoming a Digiday Plus member. This allows you unlimited access to all of our content. Um, There are also other perks like exclusive research, invites to member events, and much more. To find out more, visit digiday.com slash subscribe. Use intro at checkout for a special introductory offer of just $49 for three months of Digiday Plus. That is a 70% savings. Again, use intro at checkout. Welcome to the Digiday Podcast. I'm Brian Morrissey. Uh, this week I am joined by Gina Garubo. Gina's the CEO of National Public Media, and we are going to talk all things audio, this golden age of audio that we're in, Gina. Welcome.
1: Thank you, Brian. It's great to be here.
0: Okay, so let's get let's get one thing out of uh, the way first, and that is national public media. I always get confused when it's national public media. And then it's NPR and and if there's a difference and what the difference is.
1: National Public Media is the sponsorship subsidiary of NPR. We have an entire team that uh, helps bring corporate sponsorship to our member stations and then another team, NPR Corporate Sponsorships, just dedicated to driving sponsorship for NPR across all their platforms. So
0: money. Yeah. This is not the sort of the government-funded
1: stuff. <laughs> Correct. Okay. So. This is the sponsorship brand advertiser world.
0: So you joined in 2015. Um, one, it, explain the opportunity that you saw here. I mean, obviously, this is a, a national institution to some degree. Um but, like, what did you see that was um, the big opportunity?
1: So I had helped build uh, Women.com and blog her. and they were both uh, mission-driven organizations to bring a slightly different editorial voice to the world, uh, a richness and had communities around them that really cared about being informed in an authentic sort of down-to-earth manner. I think when you think of NPR, you think fact-based journalism, rich storytelling. I've always been an NPR listener, and I loved the fact that they had sponsor messages, but there wasn't a lot of clutter they just told me what I needed to know. They didn't hit me over the head or try to sell me hard. Right. So when I got the call. Very different
0: from internet advertising.
1: Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, no dancing yeah. penguins across the page at NPR, I'll tell you that much. Um, so I. Th- and and podcasts were just coming on the scene. And I thought. Is this
0: pre serial? I don't even know at this point.
1: I was just around just the, the time cereal. of serial. Okay. And I thought oh, my God, I love NPR. And when I interviewed with them, I asked what they thought the future was. And they talked about trying to get their audio across every on-demand platform there was. They were very early in podcasts Mm -hmm. and were experimenting. And I thought, I want to join this organization and I want to create new models in sponsorship for brands in this world that will be appealing mm-hmm. to the listeners.
0: So looking back four years later, what what would you rank as like sort of top three um, changes that you put in place?
1: Well, from a sponsorship uh, point of view, I think we have been out in the industry really pushing to... Make sure sponsors understand how powerful spoken word in the on-demand world is, and it's growing. We worked with Edison Research to pioneer um, research around smart speakers and the role that would have in bringing radio into the home in being a wonderful new Voice activated tool for people, um, the richness of podcasting across all kinds of genres. When we go out and talk about mm. podcasting, we don't just talk about NPR. We talk about the great work that Wondery is doing or the new listeners iHeart's bringing with Ron Burgundy or The Daily. I mean, all. Ships are rising right now. Mm-hmm. It is an amazingly exciting time.
0: Yeah, and and the, the term podcasting in some ways is a misnomer. I think there was a debate at some point during the evolution of podcasting about whether it was a terrible name for it. But, I mean, you use the word on-demand audio. I do. Um, which is really what we're—I think podcasting is just—everyone just uses it. But, like, really what we're talking about is— that audio now is on demand in a bunch of different formats and and ever-increasing number of formats.
1: Yeah, and so Apple still owns the majority of the podcast listening from their app. But when you look at what Spotify and Pandora have done to transform consumer habits, uh, audio is the number one thing people do on mobile now. Podcasts are 10% of that, but for podcast listeners... Forty-two percent of their audio consumption is podcasts, and now that everybody's got earbuds, it's even easy. It's even easier for them because they're always in their head. Yeah. So, just over the last five years, it's gone from okay, you're able to download it to oh, more ways to stream it. Oh, Wi-Fi is making it really easy to. Now Spotify has podcasts and Google has podcasts. I mean, it's just so easy for listeners to get audio on demand.
0: Mm-hmm. So, I mean, is this, this the, the golden age of audio?
1: I, I actually think we're almost to the golden age. Okay. And the thing I'm keeping my fingers crossed about is Google has said that they would like to see audio rank along with link search so that when somebody searches for a topic, you might be just as lucky to hear a podcast as you would get a video or a link to an article.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. I mean, because podcasting typically has suffered from a lack of discoverability, right? Yes. I mean, you hear about it. And and, and look, uh, NPR, uh had a big leg up early on right i mean like you know every not everyone but most people had heard of all things considered uh, most things um, had heard of morning edition and, and various other npr franchises and they knew they were audio
1: right so npr i think the most important thing is the heritage and culture of an audio first journalism and storytelling mm-hmm. organization so when podcasts offered the opportunity for their journalists and storytellers to tell longer, deeper, uh, episodic stories, it was thrilling. Anya Grundman has this term, you know, "create from within," and she really encourages everybody within the NPR organization who has a great story and idea to come. Mm-hmm. So that was an advantage that. It's just a place where audio is cool, whereas other places, that's not necessarily the case. And then also, it became the a preferred way of getting information for more and more consumers. So you had this heritage, you had this new format, and I don't know if you're familiar with NPR One. NPR yep on-demand listening platform, but that allowed NPR to understand what people were listening to, how to cross promote it. Um, as you may hear if you're a listener of Morning Edition in broadcast or streaming, you'll hear segments of the podcasts within morning edition and all things considered which helps with the familiarity it's never forced Mm -hmm. it's um so for example one of our new podcasts through line they explain the 38th parallel so when we were reporting when npr was reporting on korea they took a clip from through line to give the background uh two weeks ago Morning Edition had a story about Venezuela, and they had a clip from Throughline through about how did this, how did Hugo Chavez get into office in the first place? Right. So it's woven in in a non-promotional, uh, editorial way. Right.
0: Um, how is the demographic of the on-demand audience different, or is it not from the radio? I mean the. The outsider view would be, well, you know, the radio listener is, is is far older and that the on-demand listener is, is, is far younger.
1: So across all of NPR platforms, what everybody has in common is education, um, upscale, they care about the world around them, and they're light consumers of commercial media. But the radio is ten years older. The average age in podcast is thirty-three, and very interestingly, when Spotify launched uh, Daily Drive with the NPR News Brief, that audience is about seven years younger than the podcast audience. Okay, so that's really exciting, and NPR really tracks where audiences come in so we have npr music and the tiny desk concerts that's a very young audience starting to come into npr um i hope i get the statistics right uh 28 percent of the listeners to the npr news brief on smart speakers don't listen to npr on other platforms we think they're mostly okay, so new, to new NPR. audience
0: new audiences yes. okay um Talk a little bit about Tiny Desk concerts, like what you're doing there, because there's one thing of changing the distribution, but the other one is changing the content to appeal to um, a younger audience. I mean, Terry so, Gross is fine for me, but maybe not for <laughs> a 23-year-old. You never know.
1: So I, I wish I knew more about the the heritage of NPR music, but it's been part of NPR's mission from the very early days, bringing up-and-coming voices, allowing Popular voices to reach the audience. We also so uh, Stephen Thompson and Bob Boylan and the NPR Music Group invite up and coming and big artists to play literally beti- behind a desk. And if you watch on NPR.org or YouTube, you'll see big names, emerging names. We uh, NPR has the Tiny Desk Concert every year where. Unknown artists from around the country come and submit, and we pick uh, them. And we've had some of our Tiny Desk Winter winners win Grammys. Mm-hmm.
0: I, how about like programming for on-demand versus radio? I mean, how do you how do you need to change?
1: So NPR has produced more and more um, short-form daily programming. So. Up First is our daily news show that comes uh, on demand. Planet Money Indicator is a a five-day-a-week short take on money matters. Um, We've also, uh, we're also going to probably have a lot of daily Mm -hmm. short-form politics podcasts during the election cycle. Because our listeners have an appetite to be informed on XYZ topics every single day, and their time is precious. Mm -hmm. But then we recently launched Life Kits, and NPR produces Life Kits as instructions for a better life, how to retire, how to make friends as an adult. And we believe in the future— if audio is as searchable as video or text
0: links, yeah,
1: this will be important, valuable content for people to be mm. able to access.
0: We'll be right back. What if you could reach the right professionals the right way? Imagine the best place for marketers, a place where you stand out, a place that has exactly the people you're looking for, and even better, they're looking for you. That would be a place like LinkedIn. LinkedIn ads can help drive the results marketers like you care about the most, whether that's building your brand all the way to converting revenue and driving growth. To redeem a free $100 LinkedIn ad credit and launch your first campaign, go to linkedin.com slash digiday. That is linkedin.com slash digiday for your free $100 ad credit. Terms and conditions apply. Now back to the episode. And likely you'll then be beholden to the giant tech companies that control the distribution in ways that maybe you're not, maybe not on radio.
1: Well, we have the partnership with the member stations to
0: broadcast
1: NPR programming, Mm -hmm. like Morning Edition and All Things
0: Considered. Um, Is that why NPR One is still, I mean, like, I guess it's, it's strange to think about, like, going to a separate app for... Uh, one set of, of podcasts from the app you get everyone?
1: So NPR One has thousands of podcasts at, that their yeah. editors pick. And it's often the way I hear other podcasts that are non-NPR. So The Shrink Next Door from Wondery uh, came through on my NPR One feed.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And...
0: I just mean from a consumer perspective. You it know. does
1: make it challenging, but the hardcore NPR yeah. fans like myself love it.
0: Okay. So what trends are you seeing on in monetization? Obviously, there's more money going into on-demand audio pod- podcasting, et cetera. Um, but what are you seeing in the market?
1: So I'm finding more and more brands looking to find their sonic identity or looking to understand how audio fits into their media strategy. So... Television is wonderful, and uh, you know, online is wonderful, mm-hmm. but the intimacy that on-demand audio and podcasts bring present a new opportunity for brands. Yeah. And just in the last two years, National Public Media created an in-house production team to create custom audio for brands for them to tell their stories which we push out in the sponsorship units across the platform, we we won't or can't and will not do sponsored content or endorsements, um, which wouldn't fit into our world anyway. So, National Public Media creates helps brands create a voice that's fitting with the consumer mm-hmm. expectations So no host reads that are, are we have very few host reads we have our non-journalists can do host reads yeah. but you'll never do hear. you think it's
0: strange that it uh, overall in podcasting um that the journalists are the ones doing the i'm, I'm reading about linkedin on this particular podcast uh. um everyone <laughs> should go to linkedin for fine candidates um,
1: I can't make any judgments. <laughs> I, I actually. And anyone listening out tell, there, I'm happy
0: to read your ad.
1: <laughs> I tell the brands <laughs> we work with, you should experiment with all the different things that the different but podcast I guess, companies. I, I can guess offer. when
0: we when we talk about podcasting, I think one of the things is it it grew up in a podcast like this with two people talking, um, and now it's it's gone into and it's something I want to talk about a bunch of different genres, um, but the the ad format just kind of followed that it just ended up being uh host reads and i don't know depending on the study they say that you know that gives it an authenticity uh, intimacy whatever you want to call it that makes it more effective the fact that it's not radio commercials
1: i i have to say that for some audiences they love the endorsement and it really works but for other audiences, they would find it disingenuous. So I think you have to understand. <laughs> I mean, Some of it is kind of funny.
0: Yeah. I mean, just because like, you know, the host is like, reading. I mean, it's a, so it's it's like, a tough like, I
1: tried out this mattress and you're like, yeah. okay, I, <laughs> I, our journalists a, would never do that. No chance no of chance. getting the mattress ads read. No, no. Um,
0: are you surprised that that podcast advertising has grown up in as a direct response medium for the most part.
1: Well, we're actually grateful for it and I'll tell you why. So, in 2015, 75% of the sponsor messages on NPR podcasts were direct response. And now direct response is only 40%. What it did and and the direct response we have is B2B and they're looking for educated upscale people. Um, So Squarespace, constant contact, and they do exceptionally well. So it really helped us Mm -hmm. when we spoke to Fortune 500s and they were like, we don't like this measurement with downloads. And we say, well, we don't either. We're working on a a better measurement system. But for now, that's the coin of the realm. And if you speak to these companies trying to reach this buyer they are doing really well
0: well i mean look the performance marketers they 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 put a dollar in when they can make two two dollars or whatever their their you know uh their goal is but i mean they don't stick around they don't sweat the sort of measurement stuff because they know if it works they they sell more mattresses or sheets or whatever it is um,
1: and then when they um, work with us on buying a schedule on NPR, they'll constantly optimize across shows to make sure they understand which ones are working mm-hmm. best. They're very performance driven.
0: So do you think the big, um, the biggest hurdle right now to on-demand audio advertising is still in the measurement realm? Or is it creative? Which is it?
1: I think it's three things. Okay. I think... Um, media mix modeling i think um audio and spoken word audio are at a disadvantage in media mix modeling it's always not been sexy mm-hmm. uh clients i don't think get excited about sexy radio ads or sponsor messages
0: yeah but that's why you just rebranded podcasting <laughs>
1: sexier <laughs> right? <laughs> um and or on-demand audio. On-demand audio. <laughs> I do think that is a, a good way to look yeah. at it. So I think media mix modeling, the heritage of audio almost being a stepchild, and then the measurement. Because magazines and television have been very successful, and they have really enhanced their measurement. But That's not exact science either. Mm -hmm. So um, I think as brands get better at producing messages that resonate and the industry gets better at measuring, it will come Mm -hmm. together.
0: I mean, this is outside your purview, but I'll ask anyway. Um, What do you think about the idea of, I mean, we're seeing an overall shift to subscriptions um, about trying to bring this world into on-demand audio?
1: I think for some people, it will work out fabulously. Let's the New York Times has been very successful with online subscriptions. Netflix has trained everybody that you get your money's worth. I think the jury's out. I think if the value is there, people mm-hmm. will pay.
0: yeah, it's just it's logistically still hard. um for some reason, I'm blanking on the name of the uh, luminary luminary
1: yeah. I, I mean, like I said, the jury's out. I think it it's very difficult when you have so many high quality, free um, podcasts out there, but let's look at yeah. what happened with Netflix. You had so much free or not as costly video you could consume, and they broke right. through.
0: And, I mean, clearly with, with Spotify, they're moving towards having some exclusives only for subscribers or at least windowing to some degree. Um, so we'll see how that turns out. Um, the final thing I want to talk about is, um, you know, podcasts changing into a lot of different genres. Um, this is our there?
1: favorite thing because when you have Ron Burgundy – and ESPN, and Barstool Sports, and comedy, they are bringing so many different people into the space. It's great for organizations like public media, which may not normally attract the Ron Burgundy crowd, but Mm -hmm. they just started listening to podcasts because of that. And then They stumble onto How I Built This, one of NPR's podcasts, and they become addicted to podcasts and the genre. It's, for us, we think it's a feeder. We think it's great that all the different genres are bringing in different types of people who hadn't been listening to podcasts.
0: Mm -hmm. Do you think podcasts needed, like, another serial? Like, breakthrough cultural hit that people are talking about like Game of Thrones kind of thing? Well, for the younger
1: listener, I would say no. They're really getting hooked by the numbers. I think um, maybe for an older group, they would need more Mm -hmm. hits or more enticements, but podcasts are here to stay. Audio on demand is so convenient that, and and so enriching. And the difference with that versus video on demand is you can do it when you're gardening, you can do it when you're cooking, riding a bicycle. Mm
0: -hmm. So
1: it's additive to the media pie. And
0: final, final thing. Do you think the smart speakers are living up to the hype?
1: No. Uh, 60% of people who don't have smart speakers say they don't have it because they don't know what to do with it. And um, I have to say the manufacturers are really trying, but maybe not getting creative enough with publishers in terms of... Well, most people are using
0: them just as speakers.
1: That's right. So music is number one. Weather is number two. You don't need to be that smart to be a speaker. It's informational, but... If you watch how children are using them and how families are using them, yeah, uh, that I think should point you to the future because they are more a personal assistance. And what's happened is um, 44% of people who own smart speakers are using the voice activation on their phones now. So shifting consumer behavior, understanding how voice activation can enrich their lives, make their lives easier, it will be ubiquitous. They'll be talking to their TVs. They'll be I, I don't really like that they'll be talking to their refrigerators, but I'm sure they will be talking to the <laughs> refrigerators. Know. But, you know, just the way you see little kids swipe, little kids are talking to appliances yes, now. And, and, and not saying please. Right. And I, I, I've seen, a, especially with older people, when they listen to when they have the companionship of their smart speaker. It doesn't feel like a speaker to them. It feels like a companion.
0: Okay. Gina, thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Brian. Great to be here.
0: Thank you all for listening. Please do us a favor and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, send us feedback. I am at BMRC on Twitter, or you can email me, brian at digiday.com. This podcast is produced by uh, Gianna Capodono.